You are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's interview podcast. I have a unique guest who's going to do some unique things in this interview. He is Omen Said, and he is a master comic. Hello, Omen. Hi, Tom. Thanks, thanks very much for having me. Yes. Uh, tell us about Servant of Two Masters and the unique art form that you have mastered. Well, thanks very much. I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I would say that I've mastered it, but I, I'm, I'm certainly very happy to, uh, to be, to be, uh, getting this chance to play this role. Servant of Two Masters is a, is a Commedia dell'arte script written by, um, by Carlo Goldoni in the 1730s. And it is, uh, it's an interesting script because it, it marks the transition of the Commedia dell'arte, which is an Italian improvised comic form, into the later written comic styles that um, Moliere and Goldoni and other authors championed. And it is the story of a servant, a working guy, who, in an effort to make a little bit more money and to get a little bit more food for himself, decides to take on two different jobs with two different people, serving two different people who are staying in the same inn. And uh, it, <laughs> it, uh, it gets him into a lot of into a lot of sticky and comic situations, which he he gets out of using his his cleverness and his uh, reactivity. I, I guess is the best way that I can describe it. That he, in in some ways, he's not very smart, but he's very clever. So it's the style is 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 of the Commedia dell'arte, which was, as I said, an improvised Italian theater form. It originated in the streets uh, in Italy in the the 1500s and it's a very important historical movement of theater because it represents not only the first time that women were allowed to play on a stage and the first time that really in history we had actresses, some of whom became very famous. All that's over right, because in Shakespeare's time, the, the men played the women's roles. That's correct. And all over the rest of, of Europe at that time, and as far as I know, the rest of the world, um, this was the first time that women uh, became actors, and and uh, it was a little bit sensational, uh, especially for the church. The church didn't like it very much. But the other interesting point is that at that time it was the first it was the first instance of professional actors. Up until that time, you had a lot of uh, plays being put on by different guilds throughout the years for for carnival or for. Um, for the church pageant, uh, but this is the first time that a group of people came together and decided that that was all they were going to do. They were just going to be, they would just travel and do these shows, and they started making a living at it, and, uh, and it influenced everything that came after it. It certainly influenced Shakespeare, it, and it influenced um, a lot of the other playwrights that came after, as I said, Moliere and certainly Goldoni. Yes. So, uh, now tell us about the structure. Oh, by the way, I, I want to bring this out that all the reviews that I've read, I think there's six or seven of them, they're all highly recommended for your show. Which says, yes, yes, they've all been very positive. Yeah. And so paint us a picture, because your production is, is pretty classical, right, in, in, in terms of, of, of how the uh, Comité de l'Arte works. It is. That, yes, that's right. It happens on a bare stage. There's uh, pr practically no scenery. There's a lovely backdrop and a couple of side panels. And at one point, two chairs and a table come on, but that's it. Uh, there's some there's some props, um, but it is really focused on 
the the ability of the actors to tell the story on the stage directly to the audience using their words and their bodies. It's very physically based. Um, the term slapstick comedy actually refers to one of the comic tools that came out of the Commedia dell'arte, which is which is um, in Italian it's called the batoccio, which is a piece of two pieces of wood stuck together in such a way that when you hit something with it, the two pieces of wood clap together and make a sound. And that's uh, that's the comic tool that the character I play um, has uh, as part of his costume. And all the actors are either stage left or stage right. They're sitting on and, opposite side of the stage. That's right. And, and they're they're making the sound effects and, uh-huh. and uh, playing music, playing music or singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of cool. And and so so when people come to see this art form, uh, that th- they're not surprised by that because that's how it's supposed to be, right? Yes. Um, to a certain extent, we can only guess what it was like in those days of the traveling comedianti. Um, we have some, we have a few written reports of what it may have been like or what it was like at the time, and we have some some wood cuttings and some etchings of uh, of of plays and of the characters. But there is a lot that we have to kind of imagine. What we know is that these performances a lot of ti- a lot of times would happen either outdoors on a on a stage that was raised off the ground a couple of feet. Or they would happen in the houses of the rich, who would who would bring them in. A lot of the, these commedia companies became very famous and very sought after by the by the royalty. But we know that it was based in this physical way of telling the story, and and in an improvisation, which rather than rather than the Chicago style of improvisation, which is you start with nothing and and you kind of build up around this structure of of a game. In the improvisation of the Commedia dell'arte was that you had a story, you knew what the story was. Um, the actors would have posted behind the stage a canavaccio, uh, an outline of the, of the scenario, and you knew what the setup was. And the improvisation would happen in these scenes. There were certain things that were set and certain things that were left open. The improvisation weren't they within the characters too? And talk about a little bit about the stock characters. Oh, certainly, yeah. The other thing that that typifies the Commedia is that it's uh, it's based, as you say, in these stock characters. They're some number of them, nine or ten, and they they are each archetypical. So, for instance, we have the old man, Pantalone, and he sums up, in a way, everything that that uh, that we can say about the the archetype of the old man found everywhere in culture in the world. He's um, he he is he is the one who who wants to have and doesn't really have. He's holding on to his life as much as he can, but it's, it's slipping away from him. And that's something that that we all see. We see it on the streets around us. We see it in the people that we know. We hear about it, about it in the news. There is a there is an archetype of person in the world who who, when you boil all the individuals down and all of the all the people down, you arrive at 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 a at a general form, which is recognizable, and then the job of the actor playing the role is to take that general form and to specify it. So um, we have the the braggart soldier, the the capitano, who historically came out of the fact that Italy had been invaded by Spain at that time, and there were a lot of Spanish captains wandering around the streets, presumably being a little bit cruel as an occupying force. And the way that the commedianti would make fun of this this real social thing. Was to create this, this, this character of the braggart soldier who acts very brave and 
on telling all these stories about how many people he's killed and how many women he's seduced. Uh, but in actuality, is very is very um, very afraid and very uh, you have you have the counter mask to his mask, which is that if something actually dangerous happens, he suddenly withdraws and and you know runs screaming around. Um, the the character that uh, that I play in this show, who in this show is called Truffaldino, but in in a lot of um, plays is called Arlecchino, is the um, is a little bit of a difficult archetype to describe, but he's the in a way, he's like he's like he's like a child. He's a, he's a he, they he's call a him a zany, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's one of the he's one of the the, the zani that uh that are that are the servants. A lot of the commedia is about the relationship between servants and masters. So a lot of times, a lot a lot of times the shows are the way that the shows happen. The structure of them is that there are a lot of pairs. So in in servant of two masters. Um, we have the pair of Truffaldino and his master, and Truffaldino and his other master. We also have the, the pairing of first Zani and second Zani. Truffaldino is the second Zani. Brigella or Pulcinella, at different points in the show, is the first Zani, who is another one of the servants, but is a little bit higher status, a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more established, maybe more dangerous, and. Um, and yes, the, the truth, you know, Arlecchino is, is one of these Zani. He's a, he's a servant who is just trying to survive. And uh, I think the reason that this play keeps being produced is that it's a story about a, about a, a man who's, who's trying to survive and going to these what end up being absurd lengths in order to survive. And he's and, hungry all the time, isn't he? He is. And I think especially especially today in in the climate we find ourselves in, who isn't? <laughs> Who isn't the servant of two masters? You know, everybody's, everybody's at least, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, and then and a lot of these archetypes uh, are presented wearing masks, and the mask, in a way, sums up or collects all the energies of this mask and and solidifies it into one sculptural object. In yeah, our, they, when they walk out with the mask, yeah, it's an instant laugh. Uh huh, and it's a laugh of recognition because. Mm-hmm. When Pantalone puts on his mask and turns, you see the old man, and you you laugh because you <laughs> you feel, oh, I know who that is. Maybe you have people in your life who you know who who represent that to you, or or you you've known people like this. But it's it's over the years of of development, the masks have reached these forms which are instantly recognizable, even if you can't say exactly why you feel who it is. How true that is! How true that is! So so your character. I mean, you have to do so much. You give up your body because it's it's very physical. Uh-huh. Uh, you have the gestures. You have the the word play. Uh-huh. I mean, tell us about how long it took you to learn this. I know this is an ongoing thing that you've been studying for years, but certainly. Well, yeah. Um, it's funny. Uh, the first time that I had ever heard about the Comedia dell'arte was when I was sixteen or so, and I heard. Somebody, some actors that I was working with talked about about the Commedia dell'arte. I had no idea what it was. They told me it was this Italian comic form of theater. And um, um, that that year for my birthday, my stepfather bought me a book. Uh, I think it's uh, Commedia dell'arte, an actor's handbook by John Rudlin, uh, which was written in association with Antonio Fava, who made the mask for our current production. Um, and it's a general overview of the history of the comedian, some of the characters. And on the front of it, on the front cover, there's this image of 
of a man doing this incredible jump. And the man is, uh, is Marcello Moretti. He was the first actor who put on the role of Arlecchino for the Piccolo Theatre Milano's production of Servant of Two Masters in 1952 or 53. Um, I believe it was, it was one of the first times that anybody had, had, had produced this show on a big scale. It was right after the war. The Italians were, were especially this group, uh, led by um, Giorgio Thriller, were, were seeking a new cultural identity in a way, and they picked this, this old comedy to do. And uh, all the actors of the cast was, was Moretti. And he's doing this amazing jump. And I, and I saw that photo on the front of the book, and I had this really strong reaction to it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the character was. But something in me, I looked at it, and I said, I want to do that. That is what I want to do. That's fabulous. And uh, and then, um, almost ten years later, when John Zostek, who directed our certain masters at the Piccolo Theater Evanston, um, before we started rehearsals, he wanted to take some publicity shots, and uh, he said, "I just have a couple of shots that I want to do." And he showed me the first image for the first shot that he wanted to take, and it was that image of Marcello Moretti. And he said, "I want you to do that." And I thought, "My my God, this is incredible!" You know that that uh that ever since the beginning this is what I've been wanting to do and now I finally get to do it. I mean I mean um Tom this is a dream role of mine. It's, it's a Fantastic. wonderful And exciting. folks the picture is on the cover of the program. That's true, yes. It's, yeah. They've used it a lot um for uh for the How many the, jumps the, did you have to do to get that? Oh, <clears throat> a couple hundred. Um I think there were, I think there were I think that we ended up with 300 pictures and maybe 200 of them. I was jumping in. Was well, I, ho- I make sure you grab the big poster. I I certainly intend to. Um, but but to, sorry to get back to your question, I I uh, I, I deviated a little bit. Um, that character was one that, as soon as I started reading about the commedia, started fascinating me. And, and the more research I did, the more this archetype of the of uh, the man who's trying to survive, and in a way, he he's an adult, but he has a mind like a child. He has a delight. In, in childish things, and, and he has a he has kind of a kind of a childlike way of looking at the world. And he's kind um, of a, he's very much of a clown too. He is, yeah. he is absolutely. Um, so as I went on studying it, that was the character that continually drew me. And when I went to Italy to study at the Academia dell'Arte in uh, in Arezzo, that was the mask that I that I concentrated a lot on. At first, I was a little bit afraid of it when when we started working with the mask. I didn't actually go for it. I, I around some of the other characters, but eventually I, because I wanted to succeed with it, and I was afraid that I wouldn't, so um, I waited a little bit, and then when I finally started working with it, I I flopped <laughs> a lot. I did a lot of I did a lot of bad exercises, and I was always I was always getting it wrong, and eventually, you know, after the, after a long time, I started to develop a little bit of an understanding. Um, it, it's so physical. I mean, you must take a beating because. Uh, you're giving up your body, and and you're not faking those falls. At least from what I could see, and I was only a few right. feet away. Right. Well, there's a there's a certain um, there's a certain uh, study or technique, I guess, in how to not just how to do some of the some of the um, the stunts or tricks or, or, or movements, but how to do them in a sustainable way, so that you're you know it's easy to do something once, but if you're doing a long run of something, you have to do it. A couple of times a week for six weeks, you can end up really, really messing yourself up. So I, um, I've been, I've been really careful uh, with this production to, to find out, to find the ways of doing things that, 
um, that you have to be very relaxed in sex to do a lot of these uh, a lot of this stuff. I find. Um, uh, yes, but there are there have been one or two one or two scraped ankles or or scraped knees or turned ankles, but um, on the whole, I've I've gotten away relatively unscathed. Well, that's important to learn how to do that, right? Just to, just to survive. Yeah. But it's it's more than that. I mean, you you do you play uh you weren't you playing a mandolin in a party? I do. Yes, yeah. I play the mandolin in the show. Yeah, and there's some singing. There's lots of funny word play, and just mm-hmm. a, just all the all the the physical gestures. Not only you, the whole cast, but it it kind of all plays off you, really. Um, sure, yes. Yeah, you're pretty much on the on stage almost throughout the show. Yeah, there are a couple of big sections where where the it's um where there's other plots going on. Um, uh, but I I do uh yes I I it's a very tiring show. Um, I drink about a liter of water <laughs> during the during the whole thing. Uh, what's the audience reaction been? I, Obviously, they laugh, but I mean, is it is it as strong as it was? I was there on opening night, and people just absolutely loved it. In general, the audiences have really liked it. I think that it is a little bit of um, it's we we've been talking to the actors, and we we we've we've come to realize that for the first scene or five ten minutes of the show, the audience in general a little bit is is. Uh, not sure what their role is because the style of this kind of theater, the kind of theater that that I love and, and fascinates me endlessly, is the kind of theater which doesn't ignore the audience. To the contrary, it makes the audience a part of the show. And I don't mean the the the, the kind of audience participation, which has become a, a four-letter word in our in our culture, where where the audience feels in danger of being embarrassed. Um, yeah. yeah, which I really don't like. And neither it, do it, audiences. <laughs> What's that? Neither do audiences. No, 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 no. Well, I don't know why people keep doing it. <laughs> I don't either. But um, this is a this is a style which includes the audience, and the, we found it very difficult to rehearse when we were running the show before we opened because the timing of the audience laughing is part of the show. You can't do it without the audience. It's, they have the most important role in it, and this is a. If you go back historically, these the actors who who created this style. We're doing it. They, the audience didn't pay at the beginning of the show, unless it was a you know, unless it was a royal family who had commissioned to work. Um, in the public, out on the street, in the marketplaces, the audience paid at the end of the show. If you didn't make the audience feel really good, if you didn't give them a really satisfying experience, you didn't eat that night. Mm. And so, so getting them involved was certainly important. Built into the the DNA of this style is really a connection with the audience, and it's. It's it's about taking the audience along on the journey and um, and and not not embarrassing them or, or pointing them out, but having a dialogue with them. Um, I think in the production I saw, uh, I think the, your pantaloon character kind of warmed up the audience. He did, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he has a, he does a big job for us in the very beginning. He comes out and shakes hands with the audience and talks directly to them, and that's the first moment that kind of cues the audience into what's happening. Um, it's interesting. We get different different audiences. Every night has has a slightly different energy. And one night, from the moment we stepped foot on the stage, they were laughing. And they, you know, everything we did, we they got a we had a big reaction from. And some audiences are more reserved. Um, we had a gentleman who, at a talk back, said that that he uh, he was an older gentleman. He said he said that he was he he was a little bit 
uncomfortable uh, at events where where he's expected to to participate. And uh, and it's interesting. I, I think that a lot of a lot of people are used to the naturalistic style of of theater, which is prevalent in the states. That comes out of um, Stanislavski and um, and the people who brought that technique over, which 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 ultimately Stanislavski rejected in a way, or, or was editing in, in his later years. But but in the in this country, I think we what we know most of theater is this is this style, which in a way ignores the audience. And I think that most a lot of audiences now are used to that. And so when you when you don't turn off the house lights all the way, it's a little bit of a startle. It's a little bit startling for them. But then when they get into the when they get into the flow of it and the the show and the audience are working well together, it's 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 wonderful. It's, yeah, then they really love it, right? Once they once they're comfortable with it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's a group of people all in a room experiencing the same thing and, and having engaging in the same moment. It's beautiful. Yeah, I I, I would agree. Um, and and in this, the, the question always comes up. Within the structure of these characters, they have certain things they have to do, certain things they have to say. How much improv is within these characters? Uh, I think that it varies a little bit show to show, but I, in this production, I would say that um, 10 to ten to 20 percent is improvised. Maybe I mean, more Maybe okay. more 15. I mean, 15. I saw your audience react great, especially when a couple of uh, flubs happened. The way yeah. they covered them, they, you couldn't have planned a couple of them better. And I don't remember exactly what they were, but they got great big laughs. Yeah, well, the, the accidents are one of the best things about this form. It's like like with clowning, you know, you in a, in a way you pray for something to go wrong because it's gold that when it happens, because the, the audience gets to see you really, really dealing with something in the moment, and it's very, it's a very forgiving form. Now the danger in that is that um, you can make it all about. I, I've occasionally seen productions of, of shows in this style where people make it about how bad it, it is, and I I don't think that's very interesting. I think that you, yeah, you want to have you yeah, want to have wears a, thin really right. real fast. Yeah, you want to have a high level of ability and a high level of of technique and excellence, and then when the when the accidents happen, it, it provides a highlight. It provides a foil for it. It's, it's how much re, uh, of a rehearsal period did you have for this show? We had six weeks. Wow. Yeah, in in how many three four days a week? Five. Five days. Five a, days. I think we had five days a week. And how many of the people in the cast? Uh, I mean, you had all this this training in the art form. How many people in the cast uh, had the training in the art form? Um, some of them, a number of them had have been with our ensemble members at the Piccolo Theater, mm-hmm. and so they have had workshops. With Antonio Fava, who comes to the States pretty frequently and teaches workshops. Um, and uh, some people had had other experiences of that nature. Some people hadn't had any uh, experience with Comedia at all. Wow, that, um, had to be, that had to be a real shock. But talk about learning your craft. Huh? Yeah, certainly. And, and learning it, on the, learning it on, the, on the go, which is the best, I think, one of the best ways to do it. Yeah, the, the, uh, besides uh, yourself giving a master comic performance i like the young man that played uh pantaloon and he is a young guy he played the old man yes yeah 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 it's it's funny uh traditionally or what i've heard is is that um frequently the pantalone character was played by a younger member of the company and the arlecchino role is played by an older member of the company oh is that right 
<laughs> that's I think that's I mean the guy who plays Arlecchino in in Servants of Two Masters at the Piccolo Theater in Milano now, which has been running now for fifty years, and they've uh, he's he's uh, this guy Soleri is the guy who replaced um, Marcello Moretti. He's in his eighties now, and he's been playing this role for in twenty years, twenty five years. I think he's I think people have said that he's given the most performances of any one role by any one actor in recorded history. Wow. <laughs> and he's 83 and he stopped doing he stopped doing the backflip a couple of years ago. Oh my god. Well, that's one way to stay young, I guess, right? Oh, for certain. He doesn't need to go jogging, that's for sure. No. No. Well, you're going to be congratulated for uh, Servant of Two Masters. Uh it, it, it's I think it's a it's a role that is certainly going to get you a lot of recognition in this town and, and the art form. And, well, and I understand, uh, one of my spies told me that, that you're going to be doing the, your uh, two-person uh, uh, show. <laughs> Tell us That's about right, it. yes. Um, uh, the I'm an ensemble member and the associate artistic director of the Film and Theater Ensemble here in Chicago. And we have uh, we've decided to do uh, a production of this this show, which is called Arlecchino's Odyssey, and we're we're going to do a, a run of it um, coming up in a little bit here. Um, I'll tell you the date here in a second. Okay. Um, but it's uh, the way that this show happened is uh, is a little bit of an interesting story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to live in Amsterdam for a couple of months. Um, I, I lived there almost a year. It's a great, great place. Did great you really? Time. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I was there in the winter. I found it very, very cold. Um, I, but uh, it, it's very beautiful there. Um, but uh, it's it's where this Comedia troupe is based out of, who are called Teatro Punto. And they're going to be actually coming here to Chicago this summer, so keep an eye out for them. Sure. The guy who, um, the guy who started Teatro Punto is named uh, Carlos uh, Garcia, Carlos Estevez Garcia, and he is—he was originally trained at the Lecoq School in Paris uh, while while Jacques Lecoq was still alive. He was one of Carlos was one of Lecoq's last students before he died. And Carlos started a, a long investigation into the mask and into Commedia dell'arte. And he, his work and the work of Teatro Punto, which um, is also run by Catherine van Boerden, who's a, who's a Dutch woman. He's Carlos is Spanish. He's from Madrid. The work that they do is in investigating the, in a way, what is what is the modern application of the mask, and what is what are the, who are the modern archetypes? Because one thing that gets done frequently is that people have a couple of old scenarios from from the 1700s or 1600s or 1500s, and they say we're going to do commedia, but it ends up being what what my friend Paolo, who is also with Teatro Punto, would call a Tricky, tricky museo show, which is a you know it's like it's like museum theater, and and people frequently get into this into this uh, what I would consider a mistake of of trying to recreate an art form and play it and expect it to work. The thing with commedia is that it it's extremely contemporary. Wherever this style plays, it is about that moment and that specific audience and what is happening in that town and the world. The commedianti would go into a town. And they would first go into the taverns, and they would say, "Hey, what's happening? What's going on in this town?" So oh, they really? could use refer- local exactly, references and exactly. current events. So is that exactly. what, is that what you're doing in your show? We do it occasionally. Uh, um, I I try to slip in 
things now and then. I try not to do it for the sake of doing it, but you know, if it comes out of the if it comes out of the story, I I'll, I try. But this but, show is based on 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 the character that you played in the uh, in the Servant of Two Masters. It actually is the other way around. Um, oh, okay. I so when I came back when I was in Amsterdam, I was working with Teatro Punto, and uh, we created. Um, we created a lot of work together, and, and uh, I got the wonderful opportunity to train in the masks, and I was working a lot on the Arlecchino archetype, the, Ar- the Arlecchino mask, six hours a day, uh, five days a week for a couple months. And one of the things that that we created at that time was a little scene in which um, a, a poor man, a little, a little, a little poor Arlecchino, uh, is wandering around in the streets of Amsterdam and, and getting into all kinds of trouble. And it was, and it was fun. And I had, I had always wanted to make a solo show. And when I came back to the States and came back to Chicago, I told, um, my friends, uh, at Filament, Christian and, and Julie Ritchie, uh, Christian Libinati and Julie Ritchie, uh, Julie's the artistic director. I told them, Hey, I, I have this idea to create a solo show using, using mask. And they, they said, well, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And then the Bricklayers Theater here in Chicago, who are another mask-based company, they're wonderful. They just came back from Minneapolis with a with a mask production of um, Mother Courage, which got very good reviews up there. They were throwing a festival of mask work, and um, another friend of mine got me in touch with them, and I, they said, we'd like, we'd like for you to create something for this festival. And I told them about the this idea for... Uh, Arlequino's Odyssey, and they said that sounds wonderful. And it was Matt Tricano, who's of who's uh, one of the bricklayers, who said, "You know what? It sounds like you really are going to need a, a lot of. Um, you, you should use you should use sound if you're going to do a one-person show. You need some some sound music support." And I thought, "Oh, I hadn't thought of that." So we came up with this idea of having it be two people, one of whom would be me performing in the mask, with very almost no sets. We have a, a, a backdrop curtain that I can go behind. No, hardly any props, and just just the mask and myself in the space. And then off to the side, we have a musician who uh, is a guitarist. Who originally was uh, our friend Nate Drackett, who's uh, in Japan right now. Uh, and he he played the guitar, and he had a whole ta- table of Foley effects, Foley sound effects. You know, a, a, sure. a bell and a crank and different stuff like this. So it all happens live. And now now that role is played by um, by my partner Mary Mary Spearin, who is also an ensemble member with Filament and. Uh, the, um, the development director, and and also a wonderful guitarist, and uh, it, it, it's a, it ends up being a very nice dynamic because I I'm telling the story from the stage, and all of the actions, a lot of the actions are supported with, either with music or with sound effects. And, Great, and it was fun to figure out how. So tell to, me the date now. I, I, we're mm-hmm. trying to condense this down because we're starting to run out of time a little bit. All I right, want to get it, get it, get that in the date, and then a little bit about Orpheus. Yes. The, the dates of our Lakino are the 14th and 16th of April. We're going to have salon performances of that show during the day. It's um, the theater just got a big um, supply of coffee equipment, so they're turning it they're going to turn it into a cafe for those days. People can come in and out and watch the show. And but then there are going to be two um, prime time performances at eight o'clock on the 14th and 16th of April at the Den Theater which is at um, 1333 North Milwaukee. Oh, I know where they are. Sure. Um, I'm going to be there. Wonderful. I wouldn't miss that. Tell us about uh, the show you're directing now. We've got got about a minute and a half, two minutes. Okay. 
So this spring, Filament is, is doing two shows in the Lacuna Artist Loft, and they are both based on the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, the old Greek myth. One of them is Sarah Rule's Eurydice, uh, which Julie Ritchie is directing, and the other one is a show called Orpheus, featuring DJ Puzzle as Fate, and I am I conceived it and I'm directing it. And it is, it's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice um, using modern music and hip-hop and physical theater to tell the story. There's going to be elements of clown, elements of circus, elements of mask work. Um, uh, the whole thing is going to be underscored live by a DJ in the same way that, a, that in the old days a pianist would underscore a Charlie Chaplin film. DJ Puzzle is going to be underscoring our show. And it's it's going to be a, a very environmental piece. The audience is going to be really... Um, really in the action in a way, very present for it. It's kind of and, a late, it's a late night show, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a late night show. It starts at, at nine o'clock and there's going to be kind of a, kind of a club feeling to it. It's, we're, we're, we're blurring the lines between nightclub and theater. It's a good idea. That's a good I, way to, that's a good uh, thing for, uh, for the younger, younger audiences who want to go out. But obviously it's, uh, it, it's also art. That's right. Yeah, we want to we want to tell the oldest story in the most modern, accessible way, but still keeping the real spirit and the real um, meaning of that story. And that is going to open the twenty second of April at the Lacuna Artist Loft. And all the information, both for our Lacuna's Odyssey and for Orpheus and for Eurydice, is on the Filament website, which is www.filamenttheater. That's theater with an R E dot org. Sounds great. Uh, one last question. Yes. Tell us some of the things you you want to do in theater that you haven't done. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, I'd love to play Hamlet, of course. <laughs> but uh, I just i i want to i i have the feeling that that theater has become something for an educated elite of people who you have to study before you can go and see the play, and I. It's not, it's only been like that for the last hundred years. Before that, with the Greeks and with Shakespeare and with the Comedianti and, and, uh, all over the world, theater is a popular art form. It's something that the, that the people, the poor people, the working people, the middle class, and also the rich go to because it is, it is an extraordinary event. And I want to do plays that bring that spirit back into the theater and make it something that's really participatory and really, really strong and, uh, and, 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 uh, not, not something dry and ironic and intellectual. Great. I, I think that is a gr- yeah. that is, that is a, a good goal. And, and I, I can't agree with you more. Uh, thanks for this t- terrific interview. And, thanks very much, Tom. And folks, talking to you. go see a play this week.